There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Text Message with me, Nate Langson. And I'm Ian Morris. And later on this week, we're going to hear from a guest that some listeners who have been listening for a while may be very excited to hear from but that's coming a little later we've got a packed show to get to get through today and we're going to start with pokemon pocket monsters been causing something of a storm around the world as this new app from nintendo has gone live in some markets now ian you are a big fan i think of this idea do you want to give us a bit of an overview to begin with as what the heck pokemon go is well, um, it, the idea seems to be, uh, and of course it's not available officially in the UK, but the idea is that you catch Pokemon, which is the tried and tested, uh, you know, storyline for Pokemon Go, uh, for Pokemon games. Um, but in this one, you're able to explore your environment. So there's augmented reality. You, uh, you'll, you'll have a look at a map that is a Google map based, I guess, uh, on your area. And it tells you where the Pokemon are and you can go and walk and find them. And as soon as you're in a sort of rough radius of one, you should be able to catch it. Um, now, obviously, you know, people will be far more aware of Pokemon than me. I'm, I'm actually too old to have caught it the first time round. Um, but, you know, there is no excuse like having kids to, to get into a, a game late in life. Um, so I was excited. But it's not available in the UK. Well, this is the weird thing. I mean, before we started recording the show, Ian and I were briefly talking about this, and I was less enraged by this than Ian was, and perhaps Ian expected me to be, because we've talked about these geo-blocking of downloads. And often, for example, um, with something like the keyboard app, Google's Gboard keyboard app we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that didn't seem to make any sense why it wouldn't be available for download in the UK. Like, why would you restrict something... Yeah, because the, the languages the, are already there built in support for. Exactly. Um, you know, it just uses Google's standard services. So it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. But this is different because to me, it, because this is a based, it's an app that is based around where you are physically standing. It's based around where your your phone is. It feels to me like maybe one of the reasons why the launches have to be delayed is because they need to check that the GPS points that are being used to guide you from your house to a pokemon does not lead you temporarily in front of a train or in a river <laughs> you know we've seen at least one story over um, the last yeah. few days since it's gone live where some pokemon goers have already found a dead body in a lake or something in the u.s so it seems that they have to be quite careful but you say you've got it on your android phone circumvented somehow and it works fine so you can sideload it with very few problems um what i've noticed is that it seems actually to be quite cleverly done it uses um, uh, sort of, I, I guess it's just sort of landmarks, but it, I guess they use something. There is obviously a way of doing it in the Google API or whichever you know mapping service they're using, um, which allows them to tell when something is a significant building. 
So, for example, my local pub is a is a Pokemon stop or whatever that. I, again, really, I'm I'm running out of the sort of the language for it here. Um, but that means that it, it's obviously what it's doing is it's it's able to tell where there is something important in your area, and then it it puts things in those places. So, for example, you'll get a gym in you know at a landmark or whatever. Um, and if you've played the Pokemon before, my understanding is that you'll be familiar with the gyms. I, this is it. All sounds like a really old man talking about a game, and that is exactly what it is because I've I've such little experience with it. Um, but of course, I'm very excited about the idea because I have kids, and it means you can go out, go for a walk with your kids, and there's something really exciting to do uh, where you can you know play this game with them and go and find Pokemon out and about. And I just think that's a really sweet idea. Um, but as you, um, with what, with regard to what you specifically said, which is they've got to make sure it's not on railway lines or anything like that. You don't have to be particularly close to the Pokemon to catch it, and also they're not going to be checking every point they put in, are they? Because it's impossible. Um, so I, I suspect what it is is in fact that in the US there have been a lot of complaints about the servers being unavailable, um, and I think they're just trying to throttle load. And unfortunately, the UK has sort of come a cropper, uh, which yeah. is a shame. Well, I don't think we're necessarily getting this anytime soon, but I can't imagine it will be that long away. I'm extremely excited because Kate, my girlfriend, is something of a Pokemon fan. Um, I think spent half her time through university playing Pokemon games and only yesterday suggested we get a poster of all the original pokemon and mount it on the wall so i suspect that we will also have many romantic walks down the beach uh playing with our jigglypuffs and our squirtles <laughs> i so, got a squirtle squirtle was the first one i got that's incredibly I, impressive I, right? I, well I, I don't know if it is but it was it was funny i think they try and hook you don't they so you get Something a couple like of duds and a really good one to start with and then you're in well, if you have managed to play Pokemon Go in Britain, tell us which Jigglypuff and its yeah. friends did you find? Did you go digging for a Diglett? Did... I just can't, I can't hear the word Jigglypuff without just falling about laughing. Well, there are far funnier ones out there if you go looking. Go and Google Love Disc because that's the most ridiculous looking Pokemon I've ever seen. Let us know what you have been collecting, people. Podcast at Nate Langson. <laughs> Dot com. <laughs> oh, love this. Crikey. Oh, I've got like, tears. Anyway, it brings a lot of joy to people. That's a good thing, right? Well, put your Jigglypuff down because Sky Broadband has started blocking porn by <laughs> default. Oh, it's brilliant. I mean, not the blocking porn, but the segue. Thank you. Uh, um, if you are a new customer of Sky and you are looking for smut, you are going to have to call up the powers uh, that be at Sky it. and admit it and ask for it to be removed. Now, this is not just Sky that is doing this. You know, there are a number of broadband providers in the UK and not even just land-based broadband providers. I'm on Vodafone on my mobile contract and if I try and access anything that even hints that it might be smutty or in other ways nefarious, I get blocked. And it says, you know, you cannot. If you are over 18, please call up to deactivate this service. And I'm frustrated and annoyed because it's the initial conversation that you can imagine having that would stop people from wanting to call up and ask for something like this to be removed. 
this is a real shame, I think, because it's enabling something by default. It is not opt in, and this seems um, this seems like a, a kind of. I don't know. I don't know what the word is here. Um, well, an I annoyance mean, here. It's it's not even just that. I mean, it, it, it's infuriating to have to go to call someone or to 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 be put on a list essentially, where that list is basically titled "People What Wants to Look at Smart." But it's actually more alarming than that because don't forget that um, for a lot of people, um, you know, kids growing up, they will either be, uh, you know, not really ready to talk to their parents about matters of sexuality they might have they might um be at odds with their parents beliefs on you know uh, the, you know their own sexuality or they you know they may feel that they can't ask questions for that reason or it may be outright dangerous um and or you know specifically for people who are seeking advice or maybe people who have uh, you know suffered some sort of abuse who are just trying to find information and the sad truth about these filters is that they do tend to filter a lot of stuff they shouldn't um and tests have been done. I've done tests in the past, and it, 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 they're not great, and that worries me. Uh, but of course, I don't want to be—I don't want to have to be on a list uh, just because I want to see the full internet. Um, I understand that perhaps if we're selling phones to kids, there may be—I uh, don't know—maybe there could be something in place if it was absolutely able to protect them from the wrong sort of material. But again, I—I I, I, this seems like a stupid waste of time to me. I don't think. Um, I, I think there is a sort of time on a tradition amongst the under 18s of, you know, finding smut somehow. And I don't think blocking phones is uh, the best way of doing it for the reasons I highlighted. Well, Sky's internal communications may beg to differ because the company's been testing this filtering system since last year. And it says that these tactics, uh, I'm referring to a Wired article here, have resulted in, quote, higher engagement and usage uh, with broadband shields. And around two thirds of customers that have had it rolled out to them have continued to make use of the software. Well, is that not because they don't want to make the call to stop it? Well, that's my question. That would indeed be my question. But it goes further because apparently it will roll out this uh, it's called Sky Broadband Shield to other Sky Broadband customers who haven't yet made the decision to opt into it. Right, so and if they don't yeah. respond, they'll switch it on and then they'll have to call up and ask for it to be switched off. It, it, the whole thing sort of is vaguely depressing, really. I, I, I understand the need to protect children. I just uh, don't necessarily think it should be the broadband provider that does that. I think it's better done in the home by the parents who make the decision about what's right for their children. Well, to talk a little bit about medicine for the next few minutes, uh, we have to bring in the topic of care.data. Now, this, for people who've been paying attention to this for the last few years, was the widely criticised database of your medical records, specifically your records made with the NHS. Now, this system was surrounded by controversy for a variety of reasons not least of which the fact that this was opt out not opt in and it was a matter of your medical information being centralized and made available to potentially goodness knows who but it has been killed or at least elements of it seem to have been killed and one expert that i have worked with in the past to cover such topics is somebody whose voice we may remember Olivia Solon. Hey, Liv. 
Hey, mate. How are you? <laughs> Very well. This is a blast from the past. Obviously, Liv has been on the programme before now. We used to podcast together for many years back at Wired. And Liv, despite being in San Francisco still, is remains an expert on care.data. And I thought this would be a great opportunity to get Liv on the show to talk about what the hell is going on. So, Liv, I mean, firstly, can you just give us a bit of a summary here about what care.data was supposed to be? So, yeah, it was supposed to be uh, an NHS initiative to share data from patients that was uh, stored in your GP surgery. And the idea was to take all that data, all the you know referrals and prescriptions and blood test results and whether you smoke or drink and send that to a centralized database every single month um, and, and use that information to try and, in theory, improve um, the healthcare system. Right. I mean, that's I mean, I was going to ask what made it better than what we have presently. But I'm guessing the idea there is that having everything in one place meant it was more accessible to you and your GPs, no matter where you were living or what your problem was. Is that is that basically it? And, and just more available to the whole, so the healthcare system, so the NHS has like a better picture of your whole, um, everything you do within the healthcare system, whether you're in the hospital, whether you're um, in your GP, you can get a sense of what patients are doing, what, what services they need, and then therefore the NHS can work out how to best allocate resources. Because at the moment it's kind of operating fairly blindly with all these little pockets of data that are stored individually but not being shared. Right. And data is the core here. And this was an intention to make the NHS more digital and to use technology to make your medical data more widely available and therefore better for you. But it was a controversial program. And Liv, you spent a lot of time, particularly back in the Wired days, explaining sort of what the problems were with how this program was being rolled out. Can you sort of go over some of the the main points of, of why this was such a controversial program? Yeah, the first thing was it was just kind of introduced a little bit by stealth and not explained clearly at all to patients. So it just was kind of sprung upon people via a leaflet that they all got through your um, people's doors, just saying, oh, just to let you know, all your data is now going to be shared to the centralised database. But it didn't even say that. It just said it's going to be great for you you know, everything's going to be better. And actually, it didn't really outline the risks that are associated with sharing this very, very personal data that you give to your GP in confidence. So that was one big issue. Um, The second one was that it wasn't opt-in. It was only opt-out. And the opt-out option only came after privacy campaigners made a big fuss about it. So they were just going to do it anyway, and you weren't going to have a choice in the matter. And that that was actually as a result of a a law that they'd they'd introduced a couple of years earlier, kind of preparing for this to happen um then there's the risk of just having all this data stored centrally in a database run by the government who you know don't have a great track record of big it projects so there was the fear that that could be hacked um and there was also the issue that people were worried that although the data was going to be anonymized um it it could be re people could be re-identified so someone you know for some malicious reason might want to find out you know about your your medical records the fear was that they could do it by kind of triangulating different data sources by knowing if you've been in hospital one day they could then link that to the rest of your medical records um and use that against you um the fear was that it would be used by things like health insurance companies and other private companies. 
Right. And do you think that's why the government has has scrapped this original form? Um, you know, those reasons or is it is it something else? So it's a combination of all of the above. But they did it um, immediately. They kind of were meant to launch it in 2014 and they they put it on hold after there was a widespread criticism of the of the scheme. And then they launched this thing called the Caldecott Review to kind of look into whether how it had been approached and what the risks were for this very personal data. And that was published um, just a few days ago, the same day as the big Chilcot report looking at the Iraq war. So it was kind of buried a little bit. Um, But basically the review found that um, for a scheme like Care.Data to go ahead, um, they'd have to do a, a lot more to to build trust amongst patients before they can start taking their data in this way. Right. Now, the news here is that care.data as a as a thing, as an entity, as an idea has been largely killed. But mm. in response to uh, what's taken place here, an MP called George Freeman from the Department of Health has made it pretty clear, and this was quoted in Ars Technica this week, that the government intends to continue with these kinds of large-scale health data projects. And there's a quote here from him. The government and the health and care system remain absolutely committed to realising the benefits of information sharing as an essential part of improving outcomes for patients. Therefore, this work will now be taken forward by the National Information Board in close collaboration with the primary care community Mm. in order to retain public confidence and to drive better care for patients, end quote. So, Liv, is your your takeaway here, is it that they've killed the idea of care.data because it had such a bad press, but they're basically moving forward with it under a different name albeit albeit opt out or opt in rather than opt out so i get the sense that yeah that's exactly the case it's just become a bit of a toxic brand so what they want to do is start again build the confidence get the right people involved early on have a public consultation which they didn't have before um and just you know bring patients along for the ride so that they can then make an informed decision about whether or not they want to share their data like this is an amazing potentially an amazing thing to do it just has to be done the right way well, Liv, thanks ever so much for joining to talk about it. It sounds like this is something that we're going to return to over time as these ideas and these plans roll out by the government. And hopefully the public will be consulted a little more than they were last time. So we'll have to get you back to talk about it in a bit more detail. But thanks for being here, Liv. Thanks, Nate. Well, you can follow Liv and everything she's up to covering technology for a variety of publications at Olivia Solon. We can't go a week, really, Ian, it seems, without Brexit rearing its dragon-like head, breathing fire over the potential prosperity of our great nation. Um, So let's talk about it briefly. This week's Brexit-related travesty is the rising of prices for tech. US computer maker Dell and the Chinese company OnePlus have both raised their prices in the UK and said it is a direct result of the EU Brexit vote. Um, 10% in the case of Dell have have been added to the the cost of their products, uh, and a number of other companies are doing this. Now, initially, when I saw this from one company, OnePlus, I... I branded this as publicity stunt because, you know, they put a blog out and and this is a company that's just got a new phone out. They want people to pay attention to them. And it seemed like a a decent 
bit of you know public relations stuntery to say hey be careful about brexit we're going to put our prices up in a few days and then put a post on a forum and get everyone writing about how this company's going to put its prices up in a few days and you know that's not something that companies typically come out with public posts about saying hey we're going to charge you more for our phone so you you know you might want to come and buy this now like it's always even when they do do that it's always about publicity flash sales one day discounts you know, this weekend only sort of thing. And this to me felt no different. But I have to say, I slightly backtracked a little bit on that opinion when I see the number of other companies doing this. You know, Dell is another one, importers of camera equipment. Um, We've seen that happening as well. There's a a number of companies imported by one supplier, things like Tamron and um, who else have we got? Samyang lenses, never heard of those, but a bunch of other people, they're going to have their prices put up later this year. So, this is a real shame, Ian, I think. This is a direct, immediate change to public affordability, or rather the affordability of tech products to the public that's come directly from Brexit. Are you surprised? I, well, I'm not. Um, and I also, I mean, I, although I wasn't before, I do just want to be, <clears throat> for the sake of, you know, sim, you know, being balanced, this is, I guess, a, as much a result of the drop in value of the pound uh, that, that, you know, that it is... Brexit itself, um, because the pound is now worth basically much less against the dollar than it was before. So this could have happened from other things as well. So I, I sort of understand the mechanics of it. Um, of course, this was self-inflicted. So we, we, you know, we made a decision, and it's harmed the value of the pound. It will recover, I'm sure, uh, but it, who knows how long it's going to take? Uh, when the pound is strong against other currencies, we tend to do better. When it's weak, things get more expensive. Um, I the, the question really is how long is it going to stay weak for, and how long are we gonna, and how much will you know? Can we how much can we possibly afford our our gadgets to go up by? I mean, computers are fairly important, aren't they? Um, it's going to harm businesses if the prices are going up too much. Well, part uh, of the reason is that a lot of these products have very, very thin margins for profit. And so when the pound is at its 30-year lowest, which it is presently, that cuts into a margin that on some products might make the difference between a product being you know, a uh, you know, slightly and just profitable to actually being a loss leader. And, and that's not good. The question will be, and this relates to your point, I think, Ian, was when... If the pound recovers, will these price hikes, which is basically what they are, be reversed? Will we see another post coming out <laughs> saying, hey, uh, the pound has recovered, so we're going to you know, lower our prices by 5%. Is it going to be a variable pricing structure that we see? Well, my experience of the world is that prices don't tend to go down. It's rare, isn't it? Like you don't, you don't generally get a broadband price decrease or a you know a TV service price decrease or you know the iPhone isn't really getting any cheaper is it so i suggest that that's probably it now the prices will be up for by 5% for you know until you buy it on sale sometime well let us know what you think have you noticed any other prices radically gone up for some unbeknownst reason to you podcast at natelangson.com Well, before we come back with a couple more topics and an email uh, from one of you out there in listener land, uh, let's check in with our friend over the pond, Tom Merritt, to find out what big topics he has been discussing on Daily Tech News Show this week. Hey, thanks, Nate. This week on Daily Tech News Show, Patrick Beja asked Aaron Carson what the best VR headset is so far. 
We try to figure out what the next big movement in social networking will be. Now that Snapchat is no longer just about disappearing messages, we decide whether social networks are a good way to get your news. They're probably not that bad. And Darren Kitchen evaluates Facebook's new end-to-end messaging offering. All that and more at dailytechnewsshow.com. Back to you. Thank you, Tom. Now, we've got an email that I wanted to briefly get to here, and this comes from Jacob. And Jacob has asked... In fact, I'm actually going to put this in a shorter term because his email was quite long. Um, He says that he is starting a new podcast and asks, basically, how much planning goes into text message. Uh, He says, I have a general idea that that there's a basic layout of the show, um, but he doesn't know how much time he should plan each week for things like preparation. Um, So firstly, thank you for your kind words as well, Jacob, that we didn't read out about, about the show. In general, the way that we're currently planning the show is throughout the week, I will save a variety of stories as I see them come up that may be relevant to the show. It's usually anywhere between five to a dozen, depending on whether it's been a slow or or fast and and wholesome week of news in UK tech. We then generally distill those down and talk about four or five of them But pretty much what goes out in the show and what you're hearing today is kind of as recorded. I would say if we if the show went out at 30 minutes, I reckon we probably recorded about 35 minutes. And generally speaking, we rarely do any any retakes. Um, This week we did because Ian and I got the giggles. But (laughs) apart from that, it's generally it's kind of what you what you hear. That's your experience, right, Ian? Yeah, exactly. And actually. Uh, well, we should point out that we didn't do a podcast last week, did we? Because there was just no interesting British tech news. Um, and you were ill. And, and I was ill. I mean, I could have dragged myself out of bed to do it and, and would have happily done so. Um, but yeah, I think the it was just... If there was just not enough was there and I think I didn't get back to you yeah but but no um, we we do you know the the planning is we you you have a sheet don't you you dump in potential talking points and we don't really over talk or cut much um, I guess we kind of we've been doing this for so long that we've sort of kind of got into a swing with it haven't we really so pretty much uh, I call it I call it real-time editing which is me just cutting in off like I just did then and then moving on before he can say anything like this Jacob also asked whether we would use patreon um, or whether there are any other services to be honest patreon in terms of making money from your show is probably the best to start with but if you don't already have an audience it's quite difficult I think for people to just jump on something like patreon and say hey give me money uh, it's probably something you want to build up a bit of an audience and a bit of a loyal audience to begin with and then consider making some money from it down the line the other way of doing that is set up a little paypal donation inbox some podcasters i know do that as well which just allows people as they discover the show to consider giving you a pound or a dollar or whatever um and the final point a friend of mine and fellow podcaster ollie mann said in fact he said this on our show our state of podcasting episode just a few weeks back uh, that he does is he gets everyone who maybe wants to make a donation to put it in the context of a beer buy me a beer and give someone a donation that's based on the value of a beer um plenty more that you can explore if you have a listen to our most recent state of podcasting episodes and thanks ever so much jacob for the show and yes you can indeed be an ambassador for the southeast of the u.s georgia i guess um by all means please do and please everyone else keep podcast emails coming podcast at natelangson.com 
always happy to talk about them, whether it is on the news agenda or, as Jacob's question was, a little more inside baseball, as our American friends would say. We don't have baseball in the UK, so it's inside rounders. I couldn't really avoid this, even though we we covered it on Bloomberg, which, for those who don't know, disclosure, I work for Bloomberg. Um, This is news of a company called Starship, which was created by a couple of guys who were behind Skype, co-founders, and they have partnered with a few companies, one of which is Just Eat, the food delivery service. And the reason this is significant is because Starship makes autonomous six-wheeled robots, drones, pavement drones, you may say. And the partnership is going to mean that Just Eat will start trialing the delivery of food based on the back of these little six-wheeled autonomous robots. Now, I think this is fascinating, but the reason, the particular reason I think this could be even more fascinating is whether or not people who are ordering food know in advance that it's going to be delivered by a drone. Because if the answer is no... This is going to lead for some hilarious YouTube videos, and I hope they put cameras on the front of the drones so we can have a whole series of YouTube clips of things like, you know, hungry Brits react to delivery robots. Wow. Let me, let me, let me completely ruin the comedy of this situation. Go on, mate. Ruin it for me. By, Kill my dreams. By saying that... Yeah, by saying that they're going to have to tell people because it can't, it's not going to be able to ring your doorbell, is it? So, or knock on the door. So, it's going to have to alert you through the app and say your delivery drone has arrived. Um, So, I don't think there's going to be too many surprises. I mean, there still could be some comedy. Uh, But when I look at this thing, do you know what I see? And do you know what I want to see trundling around the streets of the UK? Johnny Five. No. Uh, the 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 delivery robot thing from Flight of the Navigator. Do you remember? Yes, that? compliance. Sarah Jessica Parker gets in it, doesn't she? But you know, the, the, the NASA have these things that they use for moving stuff around internally, and uh, it's it, it, it you know it's bigger, but you could get a lot of food in one of those. I, I'd like to see those trundling around. Yes, mate. Actually, that robot was called Ralph, the robotic assistant labor facilitator. And I have to correct you. I don't think it was Sarah Jessica Parker who got in. I think it was. David. Didn't she get in at one point? Oh, we have to rewatch the film now. Possibly. I just remember that uh, she talked about listening to Twisted Sister and it wasn't a her, it's a them. And I never knew that Twisted Sister was a band when I watched that film growing up, but I've since seen them three times and they are fantastic. Oh, there you go. So there's a little bit of um, trivia. pop culture trivia yes indeed so thanks for that well these um these trials are going to be rolling out soon if you are in the regions in london that this is being tested then please let us know if you see any of these trundling around take a picture send them to us and let us know your thoughts podcast at natelangson.com right well like the world's nicest present in this has been a wrap um <laughs> i have taken nothing but great and very deep very palpable pleasure Uh, talking to you for the last half an hour so thank you very much for the depth to which you have pleased me well well, it's just the highlight of everyone's sunday really isn't it for us absolutely mate absolutely and hopefully i'm about to go outside my new little studio here and eat a fish so until next week everybody bye (laughs) dot com (laughs) Uh, love disc Crikey. Oh, I've got oh, tears. Anyway, it brings a lot of joy to people. That's a good thing, right? 
Absolutely, mate. We need more laughter in this world. We if it do, rained laughter <laughs> as much as it rained hate, we'd be a lot happier. That is very true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Never going to get through this segue the first time, mate, so let's just no. prepare for a second take. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> well, from love discs, so sorry. <laughs> you're close. <laughs> well, put your Jigglypuff down because Sky Broadband has started blocking porn by default. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. I mean, not the blocking porn, but the segue. Thank you. Uh, um, if you are a new customer of Sky. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 